Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. At this podcast, everyone has a story, and our Wonder Woman in Business podcast gives a voice to the woman who has a story that is meaningful, moving, and compelling. We share their stories, or rather, they share their stories, so that in their shining, they give permission to others to shine. Today's guest, I am so excited to introduce to you Miss Dr. Sonia Elise Freeman, also known as Queen Diva. Now, let me share a few words from an introduction of Dr. Freeman. The words are resplendent, compassionate, inspiring, and beautiful. And I want to put from the inside out. So welcome to the podcast today, Dr. Sonia Elise Freeman, also known to us as the Queen Diva. It is exciting to have you on the program. I'm going to invite you to the mic and just ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Start us off on who Sonia Elise Freeman is. Where did you start on your journey? How did you move forward? Oh my goodness. I'm so overwhelmed by such a wonderful introduction. Um, thank you so much for having me first and foremost. And, uh, and definitely Freeman does mean business because my last name is Freeman and I mean business. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, where do I begin? Oh my goodness. You know, it's so interesting because I am a podcaster myself and I'm always the one asking the questions. So when someone asks me the question, it's just so unreal that you're like, oh, oh, oh where do I start? I'm not going to start all the way at the beginning where I was born at, because I know that could be a very long story, but I will say this. I started my ministerial journey at 35. Now, I know I, I don't look a day over 35, but that's a day over, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that was about 15, 18 years ago. So I wasn't sure where God was going to lead me, but I always knew that something was more to what I was doing at the time. That just seemed to be going in a circle and not really doing anything worthwhile. I mean, I was doing a lot of things. I was always that person that would volunteer at the church and volunteer in the community, do the, you know, the breast cancer walks and the, and the, and the suicide prevention walks. And all. But I felt like there wasn't a purpose that I was truly walking into. And so when I was seeking uh, spiritually where I was, that led me more into my purpose. I knew my whole life, I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy coaching. I enjoy seeing the moment when you're talking with someone and the light comes on and you know that it stays on and they stay, you know, and it, and it stays with them and they go on to do great things. But what do I do with that? I did not know. So it started for me in my journey in ministry. And I was at a mega church at the time. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? This is like the church at the time was 25,000 people. And, and I was in the midst of trying to figure myself out. But I said, Lord, I trust you. So just guide me wherever you will have me and, and I will go. And so he had me join this mega church. 
I was in the choir, I was in prison ministry, I was in youth ministry, I was in Toastmasters, I was in, you know, every type of ministry I can get into to kind of figure out what it is that the Lord wanted for me. And I settled into choir because I'm a, uh, I was a voice major at Prairie View. Um, I, I got my degree in um, vocal performance and, um, and then also Toastmasters. He had me, he wanted me to really develop my speaking ability and understanding the importance of time because Toastmasters, they teach you how to give speeches one to two minutes and three to seven minutes and, and 10 to 15 minutes. And you have to stay at that time frame when you're speaking. I didn't know. I didn't know. That's what he was preparing me for. But he was preparing me for opportunities to be on a podcast. And someone asked me, would you like to be on? Well, we're on next week. Could you be on next week? Well, you ready to share about yourself? Can you introduce yourself? I said, absolutely. <laughs> you but build that knew? muscle. Who knew? Who, who knew? knew back then when I was joining all these different ministries and different clubs, the Lord knew. He knew. So I excelled at Toastmasters and got my competent Toastmaster and was just speaking anywhere I possibly could. I had a radio show for a short amount of time for two years from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning, every other Wednesday. It was a three hour show. I had no music, so I had to talk for three hours. <laughs> wow, okay, yes. I, I would say you were being prepared for- It was just pre preparation after preparation. And I was like, but what am I doing with this? And then, I realized that the Lord was leading me to be a leader. He was leading me to be an educator. He was leading me to be able to coach, to coach athletes or to coach CEOs of companies. You know, it, it didn't matter wherever he led me. That's why my company's Divine Voices Media. Everyone has a divine voice. Everyone, let me say it again, everyone listening to the sound of my voice has a divine voice. So whatever it is that God has gifted you with, to share with the world. He has told me, I want you to help them to release their divine voice. So that is what I have been doing. That's what he prepared me to do. And so that is what in the short story, what I am doing today. I love that. But I'm gonna dial back a minute because <laughs> I did not know that you were a voice major and had this amazing artistic background and what I want to know is what what drove you to where was that passion for music where did that come from and where did you think it was going to take you because it took you somewhere else definitely <laughs> definitely so where did this passion come from for for music and you know and art and expression and what, what did you want to do with that initially? You know, so interesting. I used to sit at the bass drum of my dad. My dad used to play the drums. He was one of the first drummers for Cool and the Gang back in the day when they were a jazz fusion band in New York City. History, <laughs> history. We didn't know that. History. That's great. <laughs> So he used to play all the time and he would sit me right in front of the bass drum while, you know, while he's playing. And my, I, I cleared him and I was two years old. I clearly, my mom was railing at him. Why you have one brother? You gonna make her deaf. 
said, oh, she's all right. She's all right. And he would just play. And I'd be listening, playing with my dollies and listening to him play. He just, all that music just was just in me as a baby. And I'm the only singer in my family. There's no one else in my family that sings. No one. There's no one else in the family that's musical other than me and my dad. They may have played an instrument here and there in school for a minute, but none of them had a heart of a musician like I did. And I thought that I was, listen, I thought I was going to be this big time world renowned diva singing all over the world at these arenas and castles and having these lords, you know, courting me. I thought I was going to be doing that. <laughs> Wow, you clearly, big dreamer, go big or go home, right? And did you start that? Clearly you did, but where did that take you? Was, was there a challenge or roadblock or, you know, course correction? My goodness, what, it was what, so what many happened? things. It was, okay, so I was in bands, I was in choirs, I was in trios, ensembles. I toured with everybody, did background vocals, uh, lead vocals, juke joints, churches, barbecues, the corner, singing everywhere. And nothing would ever pop off the way I wanted it to pop off. I was like, wow. What is this? It was years of just cultivating my art, cultivating my stage presence, cultivating, you know, just getting the feel of, of storytelling through song. Is, mm. is, is what I had to cultivate because yes, I could sing. Yes, I could sing in different languages, hit notes, five octaves and everything. But I was so young and I didn't have any experience and I wasn't able to emote a song to move people when they heard me sing. But when I went through all those trials and tribulations and being a struggling, starving artist, you can now hear all of that when I sing. And when I sing now, I tell a story through song. Not many singers can do that. That's Not true. many singers can do that. Many singers today, especially the young singers, they sound immaculate, but there's no emotion. There's no connection with you and them when they're sharing their songs and the lyrics that they're expressing is so profane that you don't even want them to sing the song to you <laughs> so it just it just ruins the opportunity for you to even connect with them as vocalists so I learned that I learned that and so I believe because the journey that he has the part of my journey that he has me now working with the Phyllis Hyman tribute and um being able to meet her her family and her friends and musicians and, and and just different people that she's encountered so that I could get a good background on her life and her as a musician I was able to emote when I sang her tribute and I've done the tribute actually for the last 10 years I started in 2013 and I came here the last three years well the last two and a half years to be in school but now the Lord's like, okay, you need to pick that back up again. You need to start getting funding for, because he wants me to do a tribute album and documentary to document me recording the album and then releasing it on what would have been her 75th birthday on July 6, 2024. So now he has me going on different 
podcasts and radio shows and different things to talk about this. He wants me to talk about the tribute. He wants me to talk about mental health awareness, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. He wants me to talk about suicide prevention, a lot that's going on from the Miss America to, you know, just judge. I didn't even know Naomi Judd had um, committed suicide. I knew she had mental illness. I didn't know that was a demise. So he has me back on that again and start gearing up for me to share about Phyllis Hyman's story in song and to help people heal from that because a lot of people are still mourning Phyllis Hyman's death and she's been gone almost 30 years. So, and because they're not understanding that she had mental illness, so she didn't know what she was doing. When you are ill, you don't know what you're doing. So if you really truly believe in your heart that this is the only way that you can have peace, then that's what you're gonna strive for when you are ill. And so that is where I am today. He said, get back on the mental illness, get back on the suicide prevention, start sharing about Phyllis Hyman's story and let people understand that this is everyone's story. Everyone knows somebody, one somebody that's either committed suicide or thought about suicide or have mental illness and been kind of teeter-tottering between that. And especially during this pandemic because we've been locked in, closed off by ourselves, isolated. You know, the, the, the idle mind is a devil's playground. If you are by yourself and you're not talking to somebody and you're not you know, having that conversation to get you out of that dark place, you're gonna go there and stay there. And unfortunately, that's what happened to millions of people during this pandemic. So that's where he, I didn't know that's where he was leading me. I had no idea. I had no idea. But I see the whole progression led me to the place that I am today with all that I'm doing today. So clearly you are passionate and you know how to tell a story. Uh, because I, I sense deep emotion in you um, and a, a connectivity. So you connect with people. Um, you, your communications, not only just talking with people, but, but pulling out from them some of the very important things that they may not even realize. So was this something that you experienced yourself? And if you reflect back, was there someone who maybe you had an aha moment with that helped you say, Sonia, this is your talent. This, this is where you need to go. And I, you know, we do believe in divine order, absolutely. But was there a role model or someone who facilitated this awakening for you? You know, it's interesting. I can recall even as a little girl, people always asking me for my advice. And I didn't understand that because I'm a little girl, what are you asking me for? My name, Sonja, means wisdom. And every time someone says your name prophetically, they're showering upon you, that on you. And so people are saying, Sonja, wisdom, wisdom, come here, wisdom, I need you, wisdom. Sit down, wisdom, let me talk to you, wisdom. And I did not realize that until people were saying, you know, I, I need your advice on something. I'd like you to, I'm going to share this. And, and I can remember as young as, I want to say 10, maybe 10. And people would always ask me my opinion or ask me, well, what do you think about this? Well, I was thinking about this and I don't know, I'm not really feeling happy at home. And I, and I, I don't even know how, but I knew the answer. 
and it would come to me and it would feel so much better. And I knew that it was a gift because as soon as I shared it with them, you could see the, the burden lift right off them. I mean, you can immediately see the burden just lift right off them when I shared whatever they wanted to hear from me. I didn't know that it was a gift until years later. And that's, that's what it was. I didn't know that it was a gift. I was like, okay, well, if you want to do this, this, not you, this, this, and that will happen. Okay. And then it's exactly what I said was exactly what would happen. But I didn't realize years later until, oh, not everybody has that gift to know something before it happens or to share with them what to do so they could be, you know, a, a good outcome or whatever the case may be. When I realized it was a gift, I was like, oh, this is a huge mantle. I'm not sure if this is something for me, but not realize I was doing it all along. But sometimes ignorance is bliss because when you do know about what you're doing and you try to quench it because then you're like, you're second think, you know, you're trying to have second thoughts or whatever, instead of just allowing yourself to let the gift flow because you're trying to get into self and it's not about self. Your gift is always about other people. And so when I realized that, I said, okay, let me get out of the way of my gift. And if whoever needs my gift, let me just release and give my gift to them. And that was something I definitely had to learn because sometimes when you get too much in your head, you block being able to use your gift and receive your gift or that kind of thing. So that was definitely, definitely evolution for me. But when I was a child, I can clearly remember doing what I'm doing now, but not knowing that it was a gift. No. And, and, you know, also within you, you, you seem to have this ability to let go and not resist that, you know, holding on to remnants of the dream of having this mega career in the music industry and, and doing amazing things around the globe, only to find that your purpose and focus was really to be here, um, grounded so that you could be that voice and, uh, of, you know, source of help and inspiration to other people. Um, so you had this new beginning at 35. At 35. And, and I just can imagine that it, it hasn't stopped since. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I want to hear more about the, the Phyllis Hyman project, but what is, what is the most... Um, what is your proudest accomplishment? If, you know, it can be personal, it could be professional, but in terms of it, it was because of you, like, what was it that you said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to agree to move forward with this, whether you were doing it out of your own free will or not, because as, as you said, when I'm led, I follow right? When the door opens, I go in. Um, and you have this trusting faith that allows you to mm -hmm. open up to abundance. But yeah. you know, what, what is your proudest moment? That's tough to narrow down to one moment. It really is. And I had asked that question to somebody else. And, I, and then I expanded it to three because I know it's hard for people to do just one of their proudest moments. But if I had to just pick one, I would say deciding to have my daughter. She's gonna be 25 next month. Well, actually 25 this month on the 22nd, she's gonna be 25. And, and when I was living in the world, I was living really in my own mind and what I wanted. And I knew I wanted her. 
I just knew I wanted her. I knew I wanted a little girl who's strong and fierce and 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 talented and and outspoken and everything that I spoke life to. That is what my little girl is. Well, she ain't a little girl no more, but she'll always be my little girl. <laughs> that I understand. Yes. yes, you know. And so <laughs> since that is that is what I decided. There's a double-edged sword to that because when you decide that and the person you're involved with doesn't want that, then you have, you don't have two parents. You only have that one parent. And I was only so focused on wanting to have the daughter. And I have not regretted it one moment, been beaming happened ever since. I would say it's that deciding to have her, that would be the one moment because she totally changed not only my life, but my family, friends, and people that she has connected to. So it was really one of the greatest decisions I think I've ever made in my life was having her because she changed so many people's lives. So that I would say would be the greatest if on a personal level. On a professional level, I would say creating the Phyllis Hyman tribute. So many people I have met in the last 10 years who are diehard Phyllis Hyman fans. And, and it's tough because they are diehard Phyllis Hyman fans. So you can't come any kind of way try to sing her song. <laughs> you better bring it and you better bring it in excellence like she did or they ain't trying to hear you. And I am really, really, really blessed that each and every person that has come to my shows have all been very happy. I mean, just smiling and singing along and swaying along and, and, and wanting to the concert not to end. I do an hour concert, sometimes hour and a half, but they want me to keep singing. I said, listen, now nah, y'all don't pay me enough to sing all night. <laughs> it, 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 it takes a lot to perform it. And as yes. you said, at the level and the quality that mm -hmm. brings people to the space of saying, I'm hearing Phyllis. That's I'm right. seeing Phyllis. I'm feeling Phyllis. That's right. But you, you also produce. Yes. Uh, and, and you you write and you so how do you do all of that? How do you how do you how are you able to do all of that and keep up that right level and energy and passion to then perform? Where, where how do you do that? You you do it because I can only say because I really am gifted and anointed to do it. Everybody can't just do this. That, now, I may look like I, it looks easy, but it's not. A lot of the things come naturally for me, but I still got to practice. I still got to make a plan. I still got to go through and, and make sure all my I's are dotted and my T's are crossed. I can't be shabby with this with the, because not only am I representing my family and Phyllis Hyman's family, but I represented God. He's the one who told me to do this. And, and I clearly remember I was sweeping my room on July 4th, 2005. I will never forget that day. I'm just sweeping along and I'm listening to her collection. And I said, like, how come no one ever does a Phyllis Hyman tribute? And then I heard clearly, he said, why don't you do it? I said, I'm looking around, who said that? <laughs> And there's only one person in the room. <laughs> in the room, in the room. 
And I have been a Phyllis Hyman fan since I was a teenager. I used to listen to her Living All Alone album. I had, you know, back then we had cassette tapes. I listened till it popped. That's how much I listened to the song. And I knew back then in college that one day I would do a tribute, but I didn't know how, when, where. But it took many years, but I finally decided in 2012 that I was going to do it in 2013. And I've been doing it every twice a year on May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, and in September, which is Suicide Prevention Month. And so I would always do it those months every year for 10 years. And it grew and grew till I got on Broadway, off Broadway. And so now I was like, okay, it's time for you to do an album. It's time for you to do an album. Because normally you don't get to do on Broadway off without an album, but only because of God's grace, he blessed me to be able to do these shows on and off Broadway. Because normally you got to have your own album. You got to have a, you know, an age, you know. No, doors open for me to be able to have shows on and off Broadway throughout those years. I didn't have an album. I just had a bunch of pictures. <laughs> a nice bio and... And I said, listen, I can do a good, I can do a mean, that's what I should say. I can do a mean Phyllis Hyman if you let me sing. It's okay, why not? Wow. If you fill up the house, we'll let you in. I filled up the house because people miss her. They miss her. They miss her music. And it's a beautiful, it's like family when they all come because they know every single song, every single lyric. They're singing along with me. And then some songs, they're just really, truly listening. And it's such a love fest. And I, it's just, the, I, that's the best way to describe it. It's a love fest when I do the Phyllis Hyman tribute. So I know when I finally get the funding to record this album and it's out in the universe and I tour it, I think it's going to be an amazing experience. I really, really, truly do. Well, not really on the album, because, but you said you're going to do the documentary of making the album. So yes. the storyteller's story. Exactly. Um, so th this is going to be amazing. I, I know you put it out there in the atmosphere, so it will find you, the funding will find you, and you will definitely be on the way. Now, with your, um, your uh, Divas Voices Media Company. Divine Voices Media. Uh, did I say that right? Divine Voices divine. Media. Okay. Mm -hmm. the, the diva in the divine. Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, divine Voices Media. Yes. What, what other, are you able to help other um, uh, young professionals who are trying to make their way or find their way? Is that something your media company does or is it more your projects at the time, at this time? Well, I would say mostly because I've, I've been doing this since 2004. So for the last 18 years, primarily it's been the things that I produce. So I produce a podcast. I have the, um, the Phyllis Hyman tribute and other different events that I would do too. I would say sometimes as people are led to, I would have clients to work with. I've worked with nonprofits to help them with their administration from the ground up. I've worked with singers and models and dancers and, and influencers to kind of help them get a strategic plan of action on how they can get into their career. And so right now I'm actually, cause I took a break cause I was in grad school, but now that I'm finished, people are kind of inquiring, are, are you available, are you available? I'm like, mm, you know, I think maybe I am, maybe. 
I don't want to take on too many projects because I don't want to overwhelm myself and I don't want to get too much to where I can't get into my Phyllis Hyman project. But I would say client by client basis, I really need to know truthfully the seriousness of the person, what it is that they're looking for, if they truly are teachable and coachable, because that's been an issue that I've come across over the years. It has to be both. It, it, there's really no compromise. You got to be teachable and coachable for me to work with you because I don't have really the time for a push-pull client with all the other things that I'm doing. So, but yes, I have helped people with media, stage presence, if they want to, you know, just kind of get polished up for an audition for like, say they want to audition for American Idol or if they're a pageant queen and want to audition for a pageant. I am open to doing those things, but time is money and, um, and my time is, is very valuable. So if you're going to work with me, you must be serious. You must be serious because I don't have time to sit around and pull it out of you. That's some people that they thrive on that. Right. I don't have that kind of time. I just don't have that kind of time. I did that when I was younger. I did. I, I really did. I did that when I was younger, but not, not in my fifties, my fabulous fifties. No more. <laughs> Speaking of fabulous, because you're leading me into this fabulous Tell me about the ultimate queen pageant. Oh, um, because I do want our listeners to know that you are competing in a pageant this yes. June. This June. This June. This 2022. June. On tw- this is how, June. How, did, how did this even happen? Tell <laughs> us what led up to this. And, you know, we know you're resplendent, compassionate, inspiring, and beautiful, and you are committed to this project of storytelling and music and, and, and documentary work, and now pageantry. Yes, yes. Pageantry has actually been a passion of mine since college. When I first was a part of the Prairie View a University uh, pageant, and I used to help with contestant development and costume design. So that was my first little taste of pageantry. And then it wasn't until I turned 40 that I did my first pageant. It was uh, Miss Texas Plus America and I was Miss Greater Houston Plus America. That was my first pageant. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like this. This is kind of cool. And so I did that. I didn't win, I didn't place, but I had an amazing experience and it, I never forgot it. And then I started getting titles that were appointed to me. And I was Integrity Beauty Woman of Excellence, Integrity Beauty Woman of Grace, and um, Miss New York Plus America Lifetime. So after that, I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm in study mode. I'm a, I'm a businesswoman. I'm getting my executive MBA. Let me see if there's a business pageant. I was just kind of checking. Turns out there was. Is the, uh, the one that I joined was the Women in Business online pageant. It was the first year ever. It was developed during the pandemic because you couldn't do any pageants because all of the venues was closed. So they said, well, let's do an online pageant. So I competed in the first ever Women in Business online pageant in the Ms. Division, and I won. I won in 2020, and I also won the Ms. Webop Photogenic. So 2020 as well. 
to which you did that <laughs> Betty Boop, that Betty Boop pose, Miss Photogenic. What what is it in the pageant that is is motivational for you? Um, and what do you observe about other women who are there with you as your uh, fellow contestants? You know, pageantry is really hard. And I don't know how people think it's a breeze and it's easy. To, it's not. You have to speak eloquently. You have to have a platform. You got to know your platform well. You have to be active in the community. You have to be able to wear heels and in, in beautiful gowns and rhinestones, and you have to be your best behavior and always act like a lady. Now you're doing that all the time, the whole time you're on the stage. And then once you wear the crown, you are that way all the time in public. So you could never let your guard down and be loose and it, no. If somebody knows you're a queen, you are always a queen. Now you might not be the reigning queen, but you are always the queen. So they'll be looking at you to make sure that you continually uphold that. So for me, I love the challenge of learning how to give an, you know, a, a wonderful answer because those, listen, those onstage questions. <laughs> yeah, those so can be a brain twister. Oh I can just goodness. imagine. Those you have to prepare for. You you think they just got up there that day and just answering questions? No, you got to practice. You got to practice answering those questions and you only get 30 seconds. And people don't realize 30 seconds goes by fast. And you got to sound like you know what you're talking about even if you don't know what you're talking about. That's the sport of it. <laughs> so that, yeah. And you're that's... teaching and you're learning and you're a role model at the same time. So I don't understand how people don't like pageantry. I really, I really don't. I think it's the, and I think every person should compete. They got male pageants now because the men are getting, the, are getting in on the fun and, and the sport of it because they love wearing their, their suits and their shoes and they love walking, you know, and having everyone look at them and they love sharing their platform and answering the onstage questions too. So children are doing, children been doing it for you. So the whole family could compete. In a healthy way. I love that healthy dimension of, you know, you've got to be on your game. You must be able to answer questions um, spontaneously with facts, yep. with confidence, um, sounding like you know what you're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, and so this is, uh, you know, that's the highest form of pitching, right? Yes. So the professional pitch, well. So for this pageant coming up, is there a particular platform that you've chosen for um, the competition which is coming up in June of 2022? Yes, I am actually, my platform is I, I have a new platform this time around that I did last time around. Um, this pageant, to, for everyone to know, it is the ultimate queen pageant for the women business leaders and entrepreneurs. And my platform is the Rhythm and Blues Preservation Society. It is a brand new society that has was started in 2018. I got on board last year and I am their artist in residence, their VP and their COO. We are right the, at the very foundation of the organization. But in just one year, we've got a letter of support from the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy. We got a letter of, uh, we have a proclamation from the assemblyman, Daniel Guardian. 
We have been able to speak at uh, Stockton University and we've had a classroom and we also had a panel in honor of Nina Simone. And we are going to do a Nina Simone tribute next year on her 90th birthday in Atlantic City, which is the very city she had her first gig as a pianist and singer. Wow. So now we add to your accolades, historian. Exactly. Um, you are almost the promise keeper and the, the, the foundation creator, uh, protecting legacy um, and, you know, using your voice, your talent, your experience to make this exciting and relevant for people. That's tremendous. Absolutely. I mean, listen. <laughs> Young people need to know about their past. They need to know, especially about Black music culture, because our culture influences every other culture in the world. So if you don't know the African-American music history, you really are missing out on such a rich history. And unfortunately, there is not a degree program that mm. teaches African-American music studies. Now they teach African-American studies, but they don't teach African-American music studies. So what we're doing with the Rhythm and Blues Preservation Society, we are spearheading to getting African-American music studies in colleges and universities in America and then around the world. So if we could do that, then we can have professors who are experts in gospel and in hip hop and trip hop and, you know, Negro spirituals because there are aficionados in those genres. They just don't have nowhere to share their history. And what better place to share it than in a degree program for African-American music studies. It just needs to be started. I know if just one university does it, the rest will follow because we have these huge buildings. We got one in Memphis that just opened up African-American Music Museum. And then we have the main one in DC. And then we got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Most of the African-American musicians are in there because there is no African-American music Hall of Fame. There is, there is, there is none. Down well, there you are. They are opening up, they are building the Hip Hop Hall of Fame, which is great. They're going to open that up in Bronx. They did jumpstart, you know, groundbreaking. They did that last year, I believe. And I think it'll be open either this year or next year. But that's hip hop. There needs to be an African-American music Hall of Fame. Because all the Hall of Fames are separate. They got a jazz Hall of Fame. They got a blues Hall of Fame. They got a, a hip hop Hall of Fame. They got a pop Hall of you know but there needs to be an African-American music hall of fame and African-American music studies so that we can all know the history from Negro spirituals to hip hop. That's all the different black culture music that we've done in oh what, almost 200 years, 200 years of history that we're not studying in school. If nothing else, can we at least get it in the, in the, in the historically black colleges? Can we at least, get it in the HBCUs. If we could just get it in HBCUs. I think you're putting it out there. And it, it appears to me that anything you put out there finds its way into 
actual becoming to be. So mm-hmm. I, I think you're you're putting it out there. It's it's amazing in terms of your um, looking at what is needed. Um, I, I love the fact that you have always, always used your talent to, to rise to the top and to bring to the forefront really important issues that, uh, that affect all of us because we love music, we love, but there, there's so many stories that are untold and so many things that are open. And you, Miss Adventurous Soul, you're just open to receive, as I said, our Miss uh, Women in Business photogenic um, pageant winner. Um, and we know you're going to do well and place and probably win this June pageant. And just so exciting to have this conversation with you and meet you. We want to wish you the very best. It seems that everything you put your hand to turns into success. Uh, And so you definitely are a Wonder Woman in business for us. And I hope that our listeners were really inspired by your journey and your openness and willingness um, and your forecasting of the future on where things need to go. Congratulations. And yes, Queen Diva, I'm saluting you. Uh, Thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing. Is there one thing that you want to leave with our listeners, something that you want them to remember or know uh, about you or just about this conversation that we've had today? Well, thank you so much for all that love. It's just a just a, a love fest you just poured upon me. So thank you so much for that. I definitely, definitely receive it all. Um, what I would like to say in, in, in line with my company, Divine Voices Media, I highly recommend each and every person listening to cultivate your divine voice, whatever it is. And it doesn't matter if you haven't done it prior to this broadcast. From this day forward, cultivate it and share your voice. Everyone's voice matters. It needs to be heard. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're a singer, dancer, if you're a cartoonist, if you're a a, a puppeteer, whatever, it's your voice. You are gifted to do that. Everybody can't hold all those puppets at the same time. That's an anointing. I'm sorry. Kids are blessed by that. So whoever and whatever cultivate your divine voice and share it with the world in excellence and shine resplendently doing it. Well, we've heard it from the expert. Our divine queen diva has spoken. Thank you so much. Wishing you the very best. We're listening out for that pageant, trying to see you to make sure that you place and win that crown. Thank you again. Thank you.